BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I wanted to talk about the Republican complaints. I mean, one of the most fascinating things with regard to the impeachment process, and also, can a president actually be arrested for a crime? You know, what are some of the really weird scenarios that we could game out of this? But I think one of the most important or interesting things about all these Republican complaints, including their stunt, you know, invading the skiff, the secure meeting area where the number three person in the Department of Defense was being questioned by Republicans and Democrats on the House Intelligence Committee. Over a dozen of the people who showed up to do the Brooks Brothers riot thing were actually members of the committee. They were Republican members of the committee who could have been sitting in the room interrogating the witness. And in fact, after their little stunt was over, went back to sitting in the room interrogating the witnesses. I mean, it was just a rather pathetic thing. But the point is that they are no longer arguing that Donald Trump is not a criminal. That Donald Trump hasn't committed crimes that are worthy of impeachment. That he didn't, they're, they're no longer arguing that he didn't commit, for example, campaign finance fraud. I mean, his lawyer's in prison for that right now. And he's an unindicted co-conspirator. He's named in the indictment of Michael Cohen as individual one. That's Donald Trump. It's been acknowledged in court. They're no longer arguing that he didn't basically shake down the president of Ukraine trying to get dirt on Joe Biden and his son. The transcript is out there. You can't pretend it's not. So what they're doing now is they're trying to blow up the process. You know, they're claiming that Trump can't be prosecuted even if he breaks the law. His lawyers in federal court went in and said, you know, if he shoots somebody, which was the example that Donald Trump himself gave, if he shoots and kills somebody, the cops can't even stop him, much less investigate him. I mean, the fact is that this guy, uh, Donald Trump, has been a lifelong grifter and small-time crook and he's keeping his tax returns secret for one of two reasons. Either he is broke, which is what David K. Johnston has been speculating for years, and he doesn't want anybody to know because his whole persona is that he's a rich guy. And if he was broke, he'd have to admit that he lost all that, you know, the 400 and some odd million dollars that he got from his daddy. Much of it without taxes because of a tax fraud that he committed that caused his sister to have to resign from the federal bench to avoid investigation. 
So, you know, a genuine criminal in the White House. This is a threat to the future of democracy, frankly, in the world. As Russian soldiers are moving into Syria right now to fill the space occupied by the departing American soldiers. After we had to blow up our own bases, we had to bring in, you know, fighter jets to drop bombs on our own bases. As the Kurds are throwing tomatoes at our Humvees as we're pulling out. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Which raises a really interesting scenario, you know, all of this stuff. The argument that the president made yesterday that, or the president's lawyer, Trump's lawyers made in federal court, that even if he was seen by a police officer committing murder, that police officer not only could not investigate the murder, but that police officer could not stop him from committing another murder which provoked one of my brothers to send me what I think is probably the most brilliant. This is the ad absurbio, or however you say it in Latin, you know, when you push a logical argument all the way to its absurd limit. My brother, one of my brothers, wrote this absolutely brilliant thing. He says, Tom, I watched the news yesterday and learned that uh, Trump's attorney said that a sitting president cannot be stopped for killing anyone or even charged for killing them. So my scenario, now let me just preface this by saying that this scenario that my brother laid out is going to require a certain amount of self-sacrifice on the part of, you know, he's using Joe Biden as an example, but whoever it might be. But anyhow, here it is. He says, so my scenario is Biden gets the nomination and picks Warren to be vice president. The Senate goes Democratic. After being sworn in, Biden buys an AR-15 online and goes to the Supreme Court and shoots five Republican justices. No one can stop him because of the president's, you know, argument. He then goes back to the White House and sends five progressive names to the Democratic Senate for justices. The House starts impeachment because he just killed five people. And the Senate confirms the five justices. The Senate then votes impeachment. Biden is kicked out and Elizabeth Warren becomes president. Biden is charged and gives up his right to trial and is convicted. He's given a life sentence and goes to prison. The next day, President Warren pardons Biden. Biden gets out. You've got five. I mean, this, this is actually, he says, this is a possible scenario. And yeah, it is. I mean, you know, it's pretty impossible in the real world. But following the logic of Donald Trump's lawyers, it's possible which shows how absurd it is. I mean, Robert Mueller, for example, he kept saying, he said in public on a couple occasions, but it's also in part two of the Mueller report, that if we could find that Donald Trump was innocent of these things, we would have said so. He actually used a double negative, but you know, which made it more complicated and harder to understand, but that's essentially what he said. And we did not, we did not say so, in other words, Clearly, Donald Trump was guilty of, at the very least, multiple instances of the crime of obstruction of justice, trying to obstruct the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. But, Mueller said, we can't bring charges against him because the Justice Department says we can't. They have said, the Justice Department has said that you can't indict a sitting president ever since 1974 when Nixon was being impeached.
Nixon obviously committed crimes. You know, it came out that Jimmy Hoffa had given him a million dollar bribe. It came out that the milk lobby had given him a half million dollar bribe. Their lobbyist had walked into the White House with a suitcase full of hundred dollar bills. Nixon took it. Same thing with the Jimmy Hoffa bribe. I mean, it came out that Nixon actually committed crimes. Tax fraud was another one. Nixon, by the way, was the last president who refused to release his taxes until the impeachment hearing was able to get a hold of them. And then they found, hey, sure enough, this guy's committing tax fraud. So this is how weird it gets. Now, let me take it a step farther. Well, first of all, it was the Nixon Department of Justice, presumably under John Mitchell. I'd have to go back and look at the timeline. But keep in mind, Mitchell went to prison himself for 19 months for the crimes that he committed as Trump's attorney general. But it was the Nixon Department of Justice that said, you can't prosecute a sitting president. And then the issue got revisited again in 2000 when Bill Clinton was president. And the Republicans, who had unsuccessfully tried to remove him from office, successfully impeached him in the House of Representatives, the Republicans wanted to charge Bill Clinton with crimes. And so Bill Clinton's Department of Justice issued an opinion, on it, which I read last uh, two weeks ago. It's fairly long. It's like 40, 50 pages. It, it takes a, a couple hours to really read carefully and understand. And, you know, I get their arguments. The core of the argument is the president is doing such vital work and is so busy and has so much responsibility that you can't burden him with having to defend himself in court. But it's hard to make that argument when this guy spends, you know, Trump spends literally two-thirds, he spent two-thirds of the time he's been in the White House on his own golf courses, playing golf. I mean, he could spend that time defending himself against a crime. So the question, is it possible to arrest a president and prosecute him for a crime? That question actually has already been answered. And I'm guessing that the Office of Legal Counsel in the Department of Justice in 1974 simply didn't know this little bit of history. But in 1872, President Ulysses S. Grant was speeding in Washington, D.C. He was driving all by himself. He was driving a horse-drawn carriage, which is, you know, this is before cars, down the street really, really fast. There were a bunch of these, you know, kind of wealthy, rich guys who liked to speed their carriages down 13th Street in Washington, D.C., which is a pretty big avenue. And he was stopped. He was stopped for speeding, and the cop let him off. The cop, by the way, his name was William H. West. He was an African-American who had fought in the Civil War. And he was a policeman. And he let him off and with a warning. And then two days later, President Grant is speeding down the same street again, and Policeman West stops him at the corner of 13th and M and says, okay, that's two strikes. You're going to jail. And he literally took the president of the United States, Ulysses S. Grant, to jail. And Grant paid $20 to bail himself out. And then the next a week or so later, the trial was held. This is from a news report from the Star. It used to be a Washington, D.C. newspaper. 32 ladies of the most refined character and surroundings voluntarily came into the court and testified against the drivers. Grant was one of three or four guys who were arrested for speeding. The cases were contested bitterly, but the judge imposed heavy fines and a scathing rebuke to the speeding drivers. Can a president be arrested? Well, it's already happened. But my brother's scenario is the most 
you know, extraordinary extension of this bizarre logic. Until last year, I'd never endorsed a weight loss product, but I decided to change that after reading about university research into a molecule that I can't quite pronounce in olive oil that regulates appetite. Louise convinced me that there was a product worth sharing, and a year later, I have to say she was right. You know, the key to losing weight is getting your appetite and those pesky food cravings under control. Once you do that, the rest is easy, and the holidays are just around the corner. And my producer, Sean, wanted to lose a few pounds ahead of eating season, and Sean is trying Riduzone, just one capsule with breakfast and forget it. Second one at dinner for days, if you, for those days when you need a little extra help. Sean says when you don't feel hungry, it's easier to make better choices. It's only been a month and she's really happy with how Riduzone is working. The only ingredient in Riduzone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant, and that appealed to all of us, frankly. Listen, if you're looking to lose weight this season, I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Riduzone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Riduzone.com. Promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, Riduzone.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. Meanwhile, Italy just said to Bill Barr, no, we're not going to help you, you know, try to cover up, uh, you know, the Russian involvement in 2016. Ain't going to happen, sorry. When Bill Clinton was impeached, there was a special prosecutor, Ken Starr, that the Justice Department had appointed. When Richard Nixon was impeached, there were two special prosecutors. First, it was Archibald Cox, and then Nixon fired him, and then it became Leon Jaworski. And, and as I recall, now I may be wrong, it may be the Congress appointed these special prosecutors, but I think that they were appointed by the Department of Justice, by the Attorney General. And in both cases, that special prosecutor convened a grand jury. There was one in the Nixon impeachment, and there was one in the Clinton impeachment, as I recall. And the grand jury hears testimony in secret. And they listen to hundreds of witnesses. In the course of the Clinton impeachment, it probably was hundreds. And in Nixon, it may have been fewer than that. And they boil all this stuff down to a set of indictments, basically, saying, okay, here's what we perceive to be the actual crimes. And then they hand that off to Congress. Now, this is exactly, by the way, what happened with Robert Mueller. Jeff Sessions appointed, Jeff Sessions was the attorney general, he appointed a special prosecutor, Robert Mueller, to look into exclusively into whether Russia interfered in our elections. And Robert Mueller, you know, and his gang of, pros of prosecutors, I mean, they busted some 30-odd people. Michael Cohen's in jail right now. Paul Manafort's in jail right now because of their efforts. And they turned their findings over to Congress after Bill Barr lied to us about them for a whole month. You know, the problem, of course, was that their findings were basically smeared by Bill Barr. Well, now you've got Donald Trump committing bribery. I mean, the, the Constitution says that a president shall be impeached for treason, bribery, or high crimes and misdemeanors. And bribery is when you offer something to somebody else for something of value. And... Donald Trump was offering military aid to Ukraine if the president of Ukraine would go on CNN and say, we're investigating whether Joe Biden's son is a crook and Joe Biden himself. And we think he is. I mean, that was the quid pro quo, right? That was the deal. So Bill Barr, the attorney general, should have appointed a, a special prosecutor to look into this who would have impaneled a grand jury who would right now be hearing testimony in secret. 
But Bill Barr, being the cover-up artist he is, and if you have any doubts about that, just Google his name and my name, both in quotes, and you'll get several articles I've written about this, or get my book, uh, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the Betrayal of America. There's a, a chapter in there about Republican presidents with several pages, three or four pages, I think it's page 114 or 118, uh, specifically about how Bill Barr you know, did the cover-up in 1992 of Iran-Contra. So Bill Barr is refusing to appoint a special prosecutor, so Congress, needing the information that they need for an impeachment inquiry, has to get it themselves. So amazing stuff, absolutely amazing stuff. Patrick in Brady, Texas, it says here you disagree with me about Donald Trump. What's that? I just I just want to point out that there's still no evidence that Trump committed any crime. Mueller did resign without indicting one American for anything related to Trump campaign or to Trump conspiracy. Do you, Patrick, do you have any idea why Michael Cohen is sitting in prison right now? Uh, tax violations. Uh, no, he's, 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 he's in prison company. in part because he paid off Stormy Daniels and he was convicted of campaign finance violations. The, the person who ordered him to Trump. do so was called Individual One in the indictment, and it's Donald Trump. So, yeah, That's I mean, the there's that crime that we know Donald Trump committed and for which his lawyer is sitting in jail, and he's only oh. not indicted for that because of the Office of Legal Counsel memo. And, oh, right, right. And, <laughs> You know, Patrick, if, if, if you're not going to accept simple reality, I suspect there's no hope for you. Bob in El Cerrito, California, listening at 9, 10 a.m. Hey, Bob, what's up? I got a question that um, you may have brought this up on a previous show, uh, and I'm sorry if I missed it. If Trump were to lose the next election in, in November, is there anything to prevent him a few days after that election is certified? from resigning, at which point Pence would be sworn in as president and would then be free to issue a complete and full pardon to Trump for all federal crimes. I don't know that there is anything that would prevent that. And that is a scenario that seems entirely within the realm of possibility, given who I, Trump is and what he's up to. I haven't heard anyone, pundits, talking heads, or anyone else, even broach that possibility. I've written to a couple of local newspaper columnists, political columnists here in San Francisco, didn't even get a reply. I'm guessing you know, that's a conversation that you'll see probably coming down the road eight, nine months from now rather than right now. Uh, you know, there's well, so many other things sucking up the air. But that scenario of Trump losing, I mean, first of all, that assumes that Trump doesn't get impeached and removed from office. But that scenario of Trump losing and then having Pence and then resigning and having Pence pardon him. Or, yeah, because he can't pardon himself. That, that would be the only way to do it. He'd have to resign and he'd have to have Pence pardon him. You know, I, I can't punch a hole in that, Bob. I can't. Well, that, that gives us one more bone to chew on for the next year. <laughs> there you go. Well said. Thanks a lot, Bob. It's good to hear from you. Don in Winsboro, South Carolina. Hey, Don, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hi, Tom. How are you doing today? I feel like we've stepped into an alternate universe, into a bizarro universe where the president is actually a king. I mean, it's just, it's, anyhow, what do you want to talk about, Don? If Trump is removed, how soon would Prince select his vice president, and does that person have to be confirmed as a vice president? I believe the vice president has to be confirmed by the Senate. I'd have to go back and look, but my recollection is that Jerry Ford was confirmed by the Senate when Nixon picked him. So I believe that's the process. Uh, don't take that to the bank, though, Don. Let me let me check that during the break at the bottom of the hour. But I think that okay, that's one the more case. quick question. 
Yeah, one more quick question. If Pence became president, he could go to the Supreme Court, too. What do you mean? And, and, and do damage. Oh, he, he could go has. shoot up the Supreme Court. Right. Under the argument that Donald Trump's lawyers made yesterday in federal court, Donald Trump could go to the Supreme Court and take out the liberal justices and then appoint four conservatives to replace them. And they wouldn't be able to prosecute him. And then, you know, they could impeach him for it. So he gets impeached. Pence becomes president. Pence pardons him. And, you know, he lives happily ever after. And he's just no longer president. I mean, it shows how just insane this whole thing is. Yes, it, it sure is. Um, it, good talking it, to you. And yeah. you have a good day. Thank you, Don. Good talking to you, too. Paul in Glenside, Pennsylvania. Hey, Paul, what's up? Hi, Tom. I wanted to talk about the impeachment in terms of the uh, the actual location of political power to go up against the president of the United States, who apparently seems to want to declare himself an absolute power unto himself. Right. All legislatures literally mean the place where laws are proposed. Whatever Congress passes as a law is the law. That's why they have the political power to take down a president. The president has to execute the laws that the legislation, legislature passes, whether it's on the state, the uh, level you have a governor has to execute the laws of the state, or in a city council right. that passes the law that the mayor has to execute. Right, and they're refusing this to do this. It seems to be well understood, but it seems to be forgotten now. Yeah, and Trump is refusing to execute the laws. If you look at how he's running the EPA, how he's running the Interior Department, how he's running the Energy Department, how he's running, I mean, basically agency after agency after agency is not exactly. following the law. And that's what he's there for. He's there. He's not there to declare himself the the omnipotent, infallible pope of, of America. Well, he thinks he is, Paul. He's there to execute the law. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. That's his oath of office. I will faithfully execute the office of president of the United States. And in Article 2 description of his job, it says that his job is to execute the laws of the land. And you're correct. Those laws are passed by Congress. Tom Harbin here with you. Uh, turns out the uh, vice president has to be approved by a majority vote of both the House and the Senate. Just for the record, we had a caller earlier who was asking, you know, I know this has come up before and I just wanted to, to be sure that I had it. All right. Fritz in Palm Desert, California. Hey, Fritz, what's on your mind today? The argument that Trump's lawyers are making leads to the absurd scenario where the Secret Service would have to protect him from anybody trying to stand their ground while he goes about summarily executing people. Right. If he was to go into the Supreme Court and start killing off liberal justices, you're right. The Secret Service would have to prevent anybody from stopping him. It's just amazing. Fritz, thanks. Uh, well said. Jude in Birmingham, Alabama. Hey, Jude, what's up? After the pardon... Then Pence could pick him as his vice president, and then Pence could resign, and then Trump would be president again. Oh, my God. Pick, yeah, or, or in my brother's him. example, it would be, you know, Joe Biden taking out the Supreme Court, the, the five conservative Supreme Court justices. Then, you know, Warren becomes president, and then, and then she pardons him, and then, and then he, he, and then she names him vice president. And I, I, you know, I... I think that when you've been impeached, you can't become president again, though. I, you know, although that's never been tried, and it doesn't explicitly say that in the Constitution. It simply says you can be removed from office. 
But it does require a majority vote of the House and Senate for a vice president to be confirmed. And well, that, so, you know, go ahead. There would be a gap, though, like the, the state of uh, New York could come after him for the crimes when he's not president or whatever. Well, that's what he's afraid of. That's why he's willing to throw caution to the wind. It's why he's willing to do almost anything to win in 2020, including, you know, commit essentially treason, you know, bribery of a foreign official. It's incredible. Thanks a lot for the call. Don in Winsboro, South Carolina. Hey, Don, what's on your mind? Yeah, hey, Tom, nice talking to you again. Thank you. I uh, was just wondering, I was listening about all the impeachment. If mm -hmm. Donald is impeached, which I believe he will be, and the Senate, they probably won't put him out of office, but if enough comes out, maybe they'll get some backbone. Mm -hmm. But if they don't put him out of office, can there's other charges. They got him for uh, whatever they got him for now. I forget the three-word phrase. But can they bring up other issues like the obstruction of justice, the Mueller report brought out? Can they dig into that and impeach him a second time or a third time? and just bring out more and more of his dirt. To the best of my knowledge, there is no double jeopardy prohibition on impeachment. There is a practical limit to it, though. I think that the practical political reality is you get one bite of the apple, and that's why Nancy Pelosi is trying so hard to do it, particularly as we're going into this election. So, you know, we'll see where it goes, but I've said this before, in fact, I think I said it earlier today, that the big thing in terms of removal from office, it's pretty obvious to me that the House is going to vote for impeachment. But that's not even half the game, right? That's like a prosecutor laying down an indictment. Now you've got to go to a jury trial and, you know, anything can happen. The Republicans who right now are trying to protect themselves, particularly ones up for re-election, their principal concern right now isn't Donald Trump. It's a primary challenger. If Trump supports a primary challenger, they're toast. And because, you know, the Trumpies vote in the primaries, they may not vote in big numbers in the general election, but they vote in the primaries. And the Republican primaries are going to be happening next spring in February and March and I think maybe even a few in April. Um, and so if Nancy Pelosi can move the can organize this so that the Senate vote happens after the end of January, so that the Senate vote happens after those primaries, after the filing deadline, certainly for the primaries, so that the Republican senators know whether or not they're going to have a serious challenge or they've dismissed the challenge, then those Republican senators will be far more likely to say, yeah, I'm going to take on Donald Trump. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge it. I am going to vote to remove him from office. And I think that's probably, and you know, they're not going to talk about it in these crass political terms like I am, but you know, hey, I just, I just tell you what I think is going on. I'm not a politician here and I'm not trying to be diplomatic. I think that's probably the reason why Nancy Pelosi is saying, you know, why on the one hand, Mitch McConnell is saying, we need to get this done by Thanksgiving before the primaries. And Nancy Pelosi is saying, hold on. David, listening on WBAI in New York City. Hey, what's up in Elizabeth, New Jersey? What's on your mind, David? Tom, how are you? Good. Listen, before I say something, I want to put a shout out to all my friends in the Navy, my colleagues, because I was in the intel community mm -hmm. and I worked in a skiff. It sensitized, compartmentalized information facility. It's the highest clearance you can get lower than the president and senators. Now, having said that, I'd like to make a comment because. I was in Florida for the recount back in 2000. I worked on that. Mm -hmm. This thing that the Republicans did was a big show. It was a stunt because I cannot believe that anyone would allow them to go into that room because usually there's a Marine outside with you-know-what ready to go mm -hmm. to stop them. 
And all those, it was, a, that's my comment, it was a show, it was like, and here's my analogy, it was like what happened in Florida, if you remember, when the Republicans during the recount rushed the Broward County Clerk's Office. Right, and that was organized, by the way, by Roger Stone. And Roger Stone, uh, Roger yeah. Stone organized the Brooks Brothers riot down in, in Miami. And Roger Stone, of course, was the business partner of Paul Manafort. And Paul Manafort is apparently still advising Trump on strategy via Rudy Giuliani from oh, no, prison. No, I, mean, I didn't yeah. know. Oh, yeah. But back to these guys, those congressmen and senators should be. They should have their clearances removed. For even just—I agree. Setup, I agree, and there's no senators. It was all members of the House, but but they should oh. no longer be able to be in a skiff ever again in their lives, and they should never be able to get a top secret uh, security clearance right. ever again in their right. lives because and they all, they have gone over the top. Right, and all my retired friends from the old Intel days, hello, and I hope all is well. And the Intel committee is a good committee. Thanks, Tom, for your show. Yeah, Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks a lot for the call, David. Nicholas in uh, San Cristobal, New Mexico. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Tom, long time, no talk. Indeed. Uh, I've been listening from Kentucky for a month, et cetera, et cetera. This is going to sound a little strange. This is about the uh, storming of the skiff. Apart from Trump's attorney insisting that he could shoot somebody and could not be even, you know, taken by stopped or investigated you're right yeah unbelievable those two things are just simply unbelievable i'm not sure i'd use the word traitor but they have certainly disgraced themselves in a way that uh, i would say would render them permanently inappropriate for a posi- for an elected position of, of great authority i mean you know maybe they could run for a school board or something but uh, the united states congress watching it all from down here it really is it really is how are, how, by the way in mexico how is the press dealing with it well they're as stunned by it as we all are i think or yeah. as most of us just, are just shocked they don't understand what's what's going on north of the border they always regarded us as something of a support mechanism you know for their pr- progress but amlo's getting way ahead of them all in many ways nicholas thanks for the call thanks for being one of the mods uh, moderators in our youtube channel i really appreciate it good talking with you CBD oil is all the rage, and uh, one of the best ones out there is New Leaf Natural CBD oil. CBD oil doesn't get you high, so it's great for people who want the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of marijuana. CBD is non-toxic. It has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties, and it's legal. The brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's N-U-Leafnaturals.com, and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to N-U-Leafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. NewLeafNaturals.com. That's N-U-LeafNaturals.com. NewLeafNaturals.com. I published a piece. It's on Alternet, Salon, Truth Dig, Common Dreams, L.A. Progressive, and National Memo. And actually, that was an older article on National Memo. Then the title in every case is, Is War on the Menu in the 2020 Elections? It's an article I wrote over the weekend. I talked about it briefly yesterday, this whole idea. It's called the Democratic Peace Theory which is the argument that democratic nations don't go to war with each other because the people would never vote to send their own kids off to kill or be killed unless they had been attacked. And if nobody's willing to start the attack, then there's never going to be a need for a defensive war. And offensive wars 
between democratic governments are pretty much unheard of. They just don't happen. And, you know, we were talking about how, how do we, you know, help bring about this, you know, and, and I talked about yesterday, and I, and I want to get into it a little deeper today, too, and, and get your calls and thoughts on this also. Where does the United States fit into this? I mean, we're defining a democratic country, and this is small d, not big D, the adjective rather than the noun, essentially. We're defining a, a democratic country as a country that has opposition political parties, that has free elections, that has a free press, and perhaps most importantly, in which the majority, the will of the majority of the people is regularly done. And that has not been the case in the United States since 1981. When Ronald Reagan came into power and began knocking down things like the Clean Air Act, uh, the, Clean, the Pure Water Act, um, deregulating, I mean, all kinds of industries, subsidizing big banks, subsidizing fossil fuels, uh, cutting back on, on programs that benefit average working people, cutting back on, on anti-poverty programs. Keep in mind, you know, the Great Society in the, in the late 1960s cut poverty in half in the next decade. And then Reagan put all this stuff in reverse. Not because the majority of the American people wanted it, but because, you know, that's what has happened to our, uh, to our political system. And I would say because of the Supreme Court, you know, which is why, I'm, why I wrote this book, The Hidden History of the Supreme Court and the, and the Betrayal of America. It's why we have this situation going on right now in the United States uh, where, well, Shama Swant, the first hour of the program, uh, you know, came on. She's uh, the socialist on the city council, on the, on the Seattle City Council. And Jeff Bezos and Amazon have allocated over a million dollars to take her down. And we can't have socialists. I mean, it's, it's not like Jeff Bezos is going to run out of money. The guy's worth $90 billion. It's not like Amazon is going to run out of money. They make, million, they make billions of dollars a year in profits and pay no taxes. I mean, you know, what it is is that, you know, we can't have these pesky socialists. You know, if one succeeds, others might succeed. And pretty soon you'll have a trend. And then we'll end up like Denmark, where everybody's happy, but the billionaires are only worth two or three billion instead of 80 or 90 billion. But what this has all brought us is Donald Trump. And Donald Trump yesterday was like, you know, I'm trying to get out of wars, but we may have to get into wars too, okay? We may have to get into wars. And the people in the, I mean, this is part of one of his, one of his crazed moments in his meltdowns in the White House. And the reporters are, you know, when he says this, the, the reporters are looking at him like, what? What the hell? What'd you just say? And so he says, you know, we're better prepared than we ever have been. If Iran does something, they'll be hit like they've never been hit before. I mean, we have things that we're looking at. Right. So how do we stop a war? if we no longer live in a democratic republic? It's kind of the small question, but it's the question that we were grappling with in 2003 when we were being actively lied to by the president and vice president of the United States. And apparently unwittingly, according to uh, Colin Powell and his, uh, his uh, number two guy, Colonel Lawrence Wilkerson, who's been on this program a number of times, 
apparently unwittingly being lied to by them into invading Iraq. So if, you know, so, you, so we can ask the, the small question, and I don't mean the small like, you know, it's inconsequential, but it's, it's a subset of a larger question, right? The lar I, I, let me ask the larger question first, which is how do we restore democracy in the United States? How do we get this country back to where the desires of the majority of Americans actually are what gets turned into law and executed by federal agencies and state agencies for that matter? Because the last time we saw a sustained period of true democracy in the United States, that is to say, multi-party system, a free press, safe, reliable elections, and the majority of the people actually getting what they wanted. The last time that happened was between the 1930s and 1981. during the Franklin Roosevelt administration, the Harry Truman administration, the Dwight Eisenhower administration, the John Kennedy administration, the Lyndon Johnson administration, arguably the Richard Nixon administration, although he extended the Vietnam War over the objections of the majority of Americans and lied to us about it. The Jerry Ford administration and certainly the Jimmy Carter administration. But it all went to hell in 1981 when Ronald Reagan came in with all of this corporate money that the Supreme Court had authorized in 1976 and 78 with the Buckley and the First National Bank decisions when they said, oh, you know, owning a politician, that's free speech. So how do we claw our country back? Will it be enough to elect, you know, Bernie or Liz? next November, a year from this coming, you know, 13 months from now? Will it be enough to, to elect a progressive to the White House and, and, you know, and to expand that meme, will it be enough to elect Democrats, you know, knowing, acknowledging that half the party's not progressive, but nonetheless, there's not a single progressive in the Republican Party. Right? This is not 1910 any longer, or even 1950. Will it be enough to elect Democrats to the House and the Senate? And then even at that, what do we do at the state level? I mean, you know, this, you know, I, 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 it's been a while since I've talked about this, but my articles are still out there on the subject, and you can easily find them. Uh, just, you know, Google Convention of States and Tom Hartman. They need 34 states. The Koch, well, it's not the Koch brothers anymore. David died. Charles Koch and his buddies, his billionaire buddies. They need 34 states to call an Article 5 convention where they basically rewrite the Constitution. And they're at 31 right now. And then they need 37 to ratify it. And they're seeing this election. This election's a BFD for these guys, particularly since the Supreme Court just said, yeah, you can gerrymander to your heart's content. All you've got to do is control the state governor's office, legislature, you know, House and Senate or Assembly or whatever it may be in your particular state, House of Burgesses. If you control the political apparatus of the state, you can gerrymander the state. This is what the Supreme Court said yesterday. Striking down two lower courts that said, no, no, you can't do that. That's destructive to democracy. And the court acknowledged it was destructive to democracy, but nonetheless said, eh, we're going to let the Republicans do it.
five to four decision. So here's a situation where the, 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 the Supreme Court, once again, is changing the rules of the game to benefit the billionaires and the Republicans they own. So how do we retrieve democracy? How do we start getting what we all want? How do we challenge the, the mind-boggling mind greed that we're seeing in, in cases like you know, Amazon spending over a million dollars to defeat Shama Swan. One socialist on the city council in Seattle is, God forbid, she led the campaign for $15 minimum wage. We can't have that. And she wants affordable housing in Seattle. Can't have that. Amazon was hooking up with, or maybe not explicit collaboration, but, you know, going down the same track with the real estate industry there. Who doesn't want rent control? But what do you do? Well, first of all, I think that we should do away with schools that are funded, uh, not do away with the schools. We should do away, we should change school funding so it's no longer dependent on property tax, number one. So poor neighborhoods can once again, can, for the first time in American history, have good schools. And number two, we have to figure out what we're going to do with cities that are gentrifying in rapid, rapid ways like this. You know, there has to be some corporate responsibility for this. But we're not even going to get to that conversation as long as the Supreme Court continues to say that very, very rich corporations and very, very rich individuals can pour so much money into a political campaign or into a media campaign or into a Facebook campaign. That and, and, and now Facebook saying, and by the way, if the ads that you buy on our platform are lies, that's fine with us. How do you have a functioning democracy in an environment like that? I mean, it sounds like some third world, third rate country. That's what the, you know, that's what the Republican Party has brought us since, since basically they took over the Supreme Court and been, you know, or at least since Lewis Powell in 1972 got put on the Supreme Court by Richard Nixon. So is war on the menu for the 2020 elections? Do you think that Trump is going to do what he accused back in 2012 when he said Obama's going to have a war with Iran? I mean, he explicitly mentioned Iran yesterday, right after saying we may have to get into a war. Do you think he's going to do what he said Obama was going to do? This is the Tom Hartman Program. And if so, what do we do about it? I mean, we had a million people on the street opposing the war in Iraq. It was the largest demonstration in world history. It didn't stop. Catherine in Chico, California. Hey, Catherine, what's up? Good morning. I want to thank you for years of teaching me more history and government lessons than I ever learned in the university. Well, thank you, Catherine. And you're welcome. What's up? <laughs> yes, I want to know what is possible to censor those ridiculous lawyers who keep defending Trump and wasting court time. Can they be censored? Can they lose, uh, be debarred or disbarred? Right. 
They're absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I think you mean censure, C-E-N, however you spell that, sure, which is to basically criticize in a way that may have a penalty associated with it, as opposed yes. to censor, which is to mute them. Yeah, I yes. think that that's up to the Bar Association in whatever, you know, in whatever state they're practicing. And because the bar associations basically are the internal judiciary and watchdog organization for lawyers, I doubt that would happen. And I'm not sure I would support it. I think that even the most absurd positions, I mean, this is this is kind of the foundation of our of our system of law is that even Charles Manson deserves an attorney who will fight for him that all of us, you or I, Catherine, could be accused, you know, tomorrow morning, God forbid, of a heinous crime. And we should absolutely have the right to defend ourselves. And that defense should take whatever form they think is going to be most successful, even if it's absurd. And, you know, absurdity is not illegal. So I wouldn't go as far as you're going. I think the people who should be censured are the guys who raided the skiff, the guys who, oh, yeah. uh, there was one woman, I guess, so I'm using the word guys in the, in the gender nonspecific, uh, you know, uh, generic form. But these Republican members of the House, about half of them who were actually members of the committee, so they could have been in the room anyway, participating in the hearings, and in fact, they had been before, and they are probably right now, claiming that somehow this is a closed yeah. proceeding. The reason why, and this is this needs to be said over and over and over again, the reason why these hearings are being held in a skiff right now, the reason why they're being held behind closed doors and in secret, essentially, is because Bill Barr refuses to appoint a special prosecutor. If there was a special prosecutor and a grand jury impaneled, like happened with Ken Starr in the, in the Clinton impeachment, or as happened with Leon Jaworski and before him Archibald Cox in the Nixon impeachment, then the grand jury would be taking secret testimony. It would be out of, outside the view of all of us. And, you know, occasionally stuff would leak out of those things. Ken Starr was leaking grand jury testimony like there was no tomorrow back in the 90s during the Clinton testimony, particularly when they learned about the cigar. Yeah, but, you know, it would be happening behind closed doors and nobody would say a peep, right? Because that's how it's always been done. The yeah. only yeah. reason that it's not being done the way that the Republicans are saying it should be done is because Bill Barr refuses to do it. So, you know, right. if they're going to invade somebody's office and make a stink, it should be Bill Barr's office, except he's probably in Italy right now trying to talk them into coming up with dirt on, on Joe Biden. Uh, it appears right. that he's traveling around the world right now, you know, pursuing this bizarre strategy of trying to prove that Russia didn't actually hack the U.S. election, that it was the Ukrainians. <laughs> I mean, it gets so yeah. weird. Catherine, thank you for the call. Uh, yeah, I, I certainly get your outrage. I certainly do. As a believer in natural medicine, I and, and I'm and I'm no fan of surgery. I've had a, I've had surgery a couple times, and it you know not something I want to do again, uh, especially cosmetic procedures, which I've never done and probably never will. Uh, but let's face it, I'm human and I want to look good. Um, I'm talking about Plexiderm, something that is non-invasive. It's derived from rock shale and visibly reduces under-eye bags, wrinkles, and crow's feet in minutes. No knives, no needles, only naturally derived ingredients. You should check it out. Don't believe it? I didn't either until I tried it. Now I don't ha let my skin give away my age. Within minutes, I was looking younger. The best part is Plexiderm goes on clear, so nobody will know you're using it, unless, of course, you tell them. And the effects last for hours. Go to TryPlexiderm.com and use my code TOM, T-H-O-M, for 50% off, plus an additional $10 off. That's right, 50% off plus an additional 10 bucks off. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 
Don't be a victim of your skin any longer. Visit tr triplexiderm.com and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, at checkout. That's triplexiderm.com or call 800-685-1292. Stephen in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hey, Stephen, what's up? Hi, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. I'm a little older than you, and some of the experience I've had over the years working for Teamsters Union and being a trustee and also negotiating on contracts with companies that are very large, I uh, have learned about the problem with semantics, interpretations, and et cetera, et cetera. But my main concern nowadays is that we're a country run by lawyers, and they're rich sharks and Trumps are the worst. And I'll tell you something, that by the time Trump's crimes come to courts, he's going to be long gone and dead. If we don't do something now, it's going to be all over. Well, maybe. I mean, it, Trump is the leader of a criminal organization, in my opinion. I, I think that the Trump organization, I think there's ample evidence in the public record that the Trump organization for years has been engaged in, in if not outright criminal activity, certainly stuff that's very, very close to it. But in all probability, multiple instances of fraud. He's already been convicted of one with Trump University. And I'm believing that there's probably an enormous amount of money laundering going on, too. And Don Jr. and Eric and Ivanka are uh, right in the middle of this stuff. So... Do you still believe, Don, that our Constitution is capable of handling current-day society? seems to me like the general working man in this, in this country doesn't have a chance anymore yeah. going against the Republican Party anyway. The areas where the Constitution is under attack, the main area where the Constitution is under attack, is the right of Congress, you know, with the signature of the president, to create laws. And specifically, I'm talking about the laws that Congress created starting in the late 1800s, leading right up to today, the laws that Congress created limiting the power of great wealth on politics, limiting the ability of money to circulate in the political ecosystem. And uh, the Supreme Court started striking those laws down aggressively. I mean, they started in the 1880s, but they got real aggressive when it came to money specifically. In the 1880s, it had to do with corporate rights. But in 1976, they struck down a whole bunch of those laws saying that, no, money is free speech. You know, if billionaires want to own politicians and own our political process, that is protected by the First Amendment. This is not a doctrine that any Congress has ever said. It's the opposite of, the, of multiple laws that have been passed by Congress over the years. It was a five to four decision. It was very contentious. And, but the Supreme Court has set themselves up as the kings and queens of America. And they are unelected. It is a, it is a monarchy. We now operate as a constitution constitutional monarchy. And I think that's one of the biggest threats to our democracy, which is why I wrote this book about the Supreme Court that just came out. I think that we have a serious, serious crisis because the Supreme Court is, is claiming that they're interpreting the Constitution, when in fact they're simply making law or striking down laws that, that follow the preference of their, of their patrons, of the people you know, who funded them through the Federalist Society, funded their careers, got them where they are, and in the case of Clarence Thomas, pay his wife. So yeah, I'm very, very concerned about this, and this has to be job one if Democrats take back the House, the Senate, and, or hold the House, take back the Senate and the White House, Job one has to be overturning Citizens United and the preceding Supreme Court decisions and doing something 
about this out of control, highly politicized Supreme Court that just, you know, two days ago or three days ago said, oh, yeah, gerrymandering in Michigan, that's just fine. After lower courts said it's wrong, after the, the court itself, the Supreme Court acknowledged it's destructive to democracy, small d democracy. But nonetheless, eh, it's not something that we, you know, we're just fine with it. I think it's terrible. I think it's absolutely terrible. Stephen, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Michael in Winter Haven, Florida. Hey, Michael, what's up? Well, it's about them coming into the skiff because I've been in the skiff before and I know what it means. And I know that they should have confiscated their phones and taken them away from them. And not they were them. tweeting live from inside a skiff. That's a federal felony. Right, and they should, what's that jail cell for down there if nobody's ever been put in it? Right, well, what it's for right now is holding Abraham Lincoln's hearse, but, uh, yeah, I think <laughs> I think they need to revive the thing. Uh, they should have been put in jail. Yeah, yeah. Immediately. Yeah, I'm, I'm, they, I'm with you. They should have been kicked out of Congress, to tell you the truth because they definitely violated major laws there, just for a show. Well, maybe we should be circulating a petition to to uh, draft articles of impeachment against these 20-some, I think it was 22 Republicans, who violated the law, who violated uh, the, the rules of Congress as well, to impeach them. I mean, censure, there's already, the House Ethics Committee is already looking into censuring them. And that committee does have the power to remove them from Congress, but it's unlikely that they will do that in this case. I think there should be a, a public debate about it. Helen, I need to move along, but thank you for the call. Dennis in Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's up? The Republicans saying that this is a lynching of Donald Trump. It's actually a lynching of the Constitution. They're hanging out from a tree and hoping it dies. You know, they don't care about the Constitution. They care about winning. Yeah. That's all they care about is winning. Yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to talk about. Well, it's also be, before you before you finish that, Tom, let's let's yeah. also keep in mind that lynching, although it has not exclusively been applied to black people in the United States, there have been a few hundred cases of white people being lynched. But there have been over 4,000, probably in the neighborhood of 5,000, known, well-documented cases just since, basically, just since Reconstruction began. And, exactly. and certainly, and even, you know, you go back 400. Yeah, exactly. And, and so uh, my objection is what? that the word is being used in a way that stri strips it of its racial. It, lynching is racial terrorism. But back to you, Tom. Yeah. But uh, like, like I say, the Constitution is pretty sacred, too. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, anyway, I but I just want I just wanted to talk about uh, Bernie and how his numbers seem to be low in the polls. And I'm just wondering, because I don't think it's a not an anomaly in my own family, but two of my brothers still barely talk to me because they were Hillary supporters. And I was a and I was a Bernie delegate at the uh, caucuses. Mm -hmm. And I also have friends that still that way that were Hillary supporters and they won't they won't talk to people that were Bernie supporters. Yeah. And so I just wonder if there's a lot of that still going on that the Dem that a lot of Democrats can't get over that. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And you see it on some of the uh, on some of the message boards and some of the news sites that were aggressively pro Hillary that are still very upset about Bernie, shall we say. And I think that Elizabeth Warren has been picking up because she is a woman and as Hillary was, and she, uh, you know, didn't get involved in that uh, dispute. She chose not to run against Hillary. I think she's benefiting from that. The other thing that I think people need to kind of check or notice 
is that, you know, the CNN just came out with a poll showing that uh, Joe Biden is, is up substantially. And it's being cast as, you know, Joe Biden is sweeping the field, get ready, Joe Biden is coming, he's going to be president or, or the Democratic nominee, et cetera, which may be the case. But I think that the reason why he's up at the polls right now, at this stage in the, in the, pri in the primary, the polls are principally measuring name recognition or top of yeah. mind awareness. They're not measuring understanding of issues and candidates. And Joe yeah. Biden's name has been mentioned, you know, dozens of times every single day because, you know, Donald Trump and the, you know, was trying to get Ukraine to take down Joe Biden. And so his name is constantly being mentioned. So somebody gets a phone call from a pollster and says, you know, who, what Democratic candidate are you paying attention to? And they, well, Joe Biden, he's on the news all the time. So I think it's really measuring top of mind awareness. I don't mean that as a knock on Joe. I just don't know how long it's going to last. We'll see. Tom, thanks for the call. You, you, you've touched uh, the third rail there. You're listening to Tom Hartman. The CIA confirmed that Trey Gowdy altered documents. When he was leading the Benghazi hearings and the email hearings against Hillary Clinton, and as at least one Republican said, you know, Benghazi hearings, we're going to, you know, she's not going to become president because of these hearings. Check. Remember that? Well, it turns out that Trey Gowdy back in 2015 sent a letter to Elijah Cummings. Excuse me, Elijah Cummings debunked this. This was a uh, Trey Gowdy's accusation. When Gowdy said, some of the most protected information in our intelligence community, the release of which could uh, jeopardize not only national security, but human lives. What had happened was Trey Gowdy had, he had a, an email, he had one of the emails that was on Hillary Clinton's server, and it had a name in it. And he blacked out that name. Now, this was after the State Department and the CIA had looked at all her emails and said, there's nothing, you know, there's no... There's no there there. There's nothing top secret here. Trey Gowdy blacked it out. And this is from this press release that Elijah Cummings released back in 2015. He says, in your letter, you stated that Hillary Clinton, Secretary Clinton, received an email from Sidney Blumenthal that included the name of somebody who purportedly provided information to the CIA. You asserted that this information was classified, arguing that such Secretary Clinton received classified information from Blumenthal, information she should have known was classified at the time she received it. In your letter, you went to great heights, to uh, great lengths to highlight the gravity of your accusation. To further inflate your claim, you placed your own redaction over the name of the individual with the words redacted due to sources and methods. To be clear, these redactions were not made and the words were not added by the agency of the federal government responsible for enforcing classification guidelines. Predictably, news commentators began repeating your accusations in even more extreme terms, suggesting in headlines, for example, that Clinton burns CIA Libya contact. Because Libya is where Benghazi was. Contrary to your claims, the CIA yesterday informed both the Republican and Democratic staffs of the Select Committee that they do not consider the information you highlighted classified. Trey Gowdy lied about Hillary Clinton, about her emails, about the whole thing. Where's the accountability? I don't get it. Where is the accountability? Hopefully at the election, a year and a month from now, he says in response to his own rhetorical question.
Oh, this is interesting. Phil Ear, E-H-R, maybe it's Air, is uh, running for Matt Getz's seat. <laughs> I just saw him on Facebook, just followed him and just uh, sent it out to all of you. Kenyatta in Los Angeles. Hey, Kenyatta, what's up? Well, I wanted for us to look into our crystal ball and look 13 months into the future. So it's mm -hmm. the day after the election. It's Wednesday, November 4th in the United States. One of three things has happened, Tom. Trump's either been reelected, and if he's reelected, there are going to be issues. Right now, we're already talking about Ukrainian interference, Russian interference. There's all kinds of stuff with voting machines. Or that's, that's going to happen, or Trump has been defeated. If Trump's been defeated, that's going to be a problem as well, obviously, because uh, like Voltaire said, those who can make you believe in absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And Trump's followers or uh, sycophants, whatever they are, he's convinced them of absurdities. Right. Or lastly, one of the things that's going to happen is the election is contested. Uh, somebody's meddled, and that's going to end up in the hands of the Supreme Court, which is a 6-3 court in actuality. And one of the one of the liberal judges, supposedly liberal judges, sometimes wob wobbles. So you know, you could actually say it's a seven-two court. Are you talking about Breyer? Yeah. Stephen Breyer. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 so, has been a little corporate friendly at times. Yeah. In it, fact, he wrote a book about it. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, I, I'm just saying. You know, and I wonder. I mean, one of those three things is going to happen. Well, there's a, there's I actually there are a few other possibilities. If the Democrats win. Depending on who the Democratic standard bearer is, I think the outcome of the election could be very, very different, number one. And number two, it's not impossible that the Democrat will be running against, against uh, either Mitt Romney or Mike Pence. I can't see anybody primarying the Trump. Uh, no, I'm talking Trump, about him getting impeached and removed from office in the next six months. Oh, see, the, well, reason, yeah. the reason why well, the Democrats... Here's, here's yeah, the then thing, you get Kenyon. Mike Pence. Yeah, but exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, who, who may be easier or harder to defeat. The evangelical base, like I said, I'm going to get into this in the next hour, is just totally locked onto Trump and largely because of Pence. Ninety nine percent of white evangelicals say Donald Trump should not be impeached. And the reason why is because they think him and Pence are giving them everything that they want. There are uh, other possibilities, but I, I agree with you that in particular, if the election is contested and if Trump loses, if Trump is the nominee and he loses, or if any Republican loses for that matter, there are going to be screams of outrage all over the country from these Republicans. And they're going to be saying, oh, yeah, they got stolen, you know, quack, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So, well, yeah. they're throwing they're throwing around the term civil war all over the right wing media. I know. Right Trump tweeted it for goodness sake. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Kenyatta, spot on. Thank you. Thank you for the call. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Hey, I want to tell you about a great podcast, The Election Ride Home. Someone is going to challenge Donald Trump for the White House. The Election Ride Home is a podcast dedicated to figuring out who that someone, or maybe even multiple someones, will end up being. Every day at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist and This American Life contributor Chris Higgins 
catches you up on what happened on the campaign trail. Who's up, who's down, what issues are getting traction, what do the polls say? It's a 15 to 20 minute show that keeps track of all the latest news and summarizes it so you don't have to be nervously refreshing your web browser 12 times a day. It's like TLDR as a service. So if you want to catch up on what you missed on your way home, search your podcast app and subscribe to the Election Ride Home podcast.